In our house, we talk about heaven a lot. It is normal conversation. It is par for the course at the dinner table. This is how it is now, and it ha- it's how it was back then when Maggie was around, before she actually got to go to heaven. And so today, what I thought I'd do starting off this message is look at one of those heavenly conversations that Maggie had with my wife. It was simple questions from a simple heart, a little girl who even back then longed for home. Listen to this. And when are we joining heaven? Whenever Jesus says it's our time. Oh. And then I'm turning that down? Well, I don't think so when we go to heaven. But it will be so wonderful up there with Jesus that we won't even want to come down. Well, sometimes I want to come down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to play my room. It's even higher than the ceiling. Oh. But do we have, do you have real pixie dust? <laughs> Real pixie dust to get there? I don't think we need pixie dust to get there. How I mean? I don't know exactly how it works, but God has something even cooler than pixie dust, I think. Wait! An airplane. An airplane to heaven? Yeah. For the airplane, but come in my house, then fly back up. Oh, sweetheart, that's a fun idea. To heaven, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) To heaven, Dad. Take this airplane to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think it will be like when you see God? Lovely, and we want to stay up there. Oh, lovely, and you'll want to stay up there. Who loves you the very most of anyone? Mommy. Who loves you even more than Mommy, though? Oh, Dad. That's right. I was a little sad that Daddy didn't make the cut or the top two slots of people who loved Maggie the most. And so what I'll do is I will take that up with her when I see her in heaven again. But what the author of Hebrews tells us is he tells us this. He says that this world, this fallen world, earth as we know it, is not our permanent home. We are, and then the words we talked about last week, looking forward to, and then the words we've talked about over and over again through this series, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Heaven is our home. If you know Jesus Heaven is our home. We have repeated that phrase for the past five weeks. Why? (laughs) It's because it's not only worth repeating, it's also in need of repeating. Because as Christians, as a community of followers, we have forgotten our home. We have forgotten the promise of paradise, and thus we do not live with heaven in mind. Reminds me a little bit of like Dory from Finding Nemo. Short-term memory loss. In fact, Dory gets lost and she loses her way back home. And in Finding Dory, her parents leave her shells out on 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 the bottom of the ocean floor for her to be able to find her way back home. And God is doing the same thing when it comes to us. He is lining up shells. 
He gave us his word, which describes, and, and not only describes, but points to our eternal home. And he's given us the good things of this world, the great things to whet our appetite as an appetizer for heaven. Because God does not want the afterlife to be an afterthought. He didn't tell us about heaven ahead of time so that we could be like, yeah, it'll be great when I get there. Uh, and, but I'm a little too busy right now to think about that. I'll think about it when the time comes. No. He told us, Jesus told us about heaven ahead of time so that it would be a beacon of hope, a reward, a prize for us to fix our eyes upon. The hope of heaven is meant to help us through the hardships of today. And so like I said last week, it is something for us to look forward to. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, set your mind, your focus, your thoughts on, check it out, here it is, the realities of heaven our eternal home, our eventual home, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then Paul goes on and he says this, he says, think about the things of heaven, dwell on heaven, look forward to it, not the things of this earth. Why? For you died to this life and your real life or who we really are is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you, that means we, us, all those who know Jesus, will share in all his glory. We will share in eternity. We will share in heaven. What Paul is saying and what God is wanting is for us to think about, to dwell on, and to live with the end in mind. And we've been saying it this way. We've been saying it like this. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. And we are to live today with heaven in mind. That means live with the end in mind. And, and, and by the end, I don't simply mean like your retirement. And I don't mean uh, our funeral. That's not the end. Friends, that's not even close to the end. Let me see if I can illustrate it in this way. With a piece of paper and basically explain that this is our life. This is our life from beginning to end. By, and by life, I mean it is so short. Our life is so incredibly short. James, he actually, the brother of Jesus, he says it like this. He says, your life is a mist or it's a vapor. It's here today. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. And here's what I mean. Our life is so incredibly short. The beginning of it is on this edge of the paper, and the end of it is on this end of the paper. That's how razor thin, that's how short, that's how, how small our life is when it comes to the span of time. Our life is so incredibly short. But to give you a perspective of eternity, at least because it's so difficult to comprehend, is that if you were to stack this piece of paper up next to another piece of paper, that's an entire another lifetime. And you were to put more papers on. Literally, eternity, this is our lifetime, eternity would go from here to the end of the room, right over there. Right over there would be the end of eternity. But in reality, that's not true. 
because eternity doesn't end. So imagine stacking up more lifetimes, more paper, to go all the way through the edge of Woodenville. Or even then, let's go to the edge of the United States, and at that point in time, we might as well wrap around the world. Imagine that many lifetimes stacked on beside each other. And when you wrap around the world, you can wrap around it again and again and again. And you begin to get the idea that eternity is a long time. And so if we're living our life just for the end of here, the perspective of how much is to come, that's not the end. The end in mind is eternity over and over again, right? That's, that's the beginning. That, that's the, the start of a lifetime stacked on unending lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. The end is eternity. It is not death. And so how does one live with eternity in mind? How does one live with heaven in mind? How do we live with the end in mind? What does that look like? And here's it's about as simple as I can say it. It is a longing for home. It means that we would be thinking about heaven. We would be intentionally remembering heaven, intentionally dwelling on it, looking forward to it, desiring heaven. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He said this. He says, to live is Christ and to die is even better. And here it is. I desire I long to depart this world and be with Christ in the intermediate heaven, which is better by far. Paul also said, as long as we are at home in the, in the body or here on earth, we are away from the Lord. We would prefer, there it is, we wish, we desire, we are longing to be away from the body and at home, our real home, our eternal home, with the Lord. This is what it means, friends, to be homesick. This is what it means to live with eternity in mind. And I hope it's okay, but I'm going to spend a lot of time today talking about my daughter Maggie. And if you don't know our story, Maggie passed away when she was three and a half about five years ago. And she was diagnosed. And when she was diagnosed, she was given a zero percent chance of survival. Now, obviously, this is the worst news that anyone could ever receive. And this is a type of news that changes everything. But one of the unexpected changes that started to happen within days of her diagnosis was this. My wife and I, we started to miss Maggie. We started feeling this, this pain of loss and separation even before we lost her, she was still living. She was still breathing. She was still right there by our side. And yet we are already missing her. This is what doctors call anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief. Now, after Maggie died, after her trip to heaven, my wife and I almost immediately started feeling something different. Something that we started to call anticipatory joy. And that is this, that there was this longing, there was this desire, and I'd even call it a sense of excitement, looking forward to the day when we would see Maggie again. On that same day when we saw Jesus and we finally stepped our feet into our eternal home. And it started, this feeling of anticipatory joy started back then, and it has only grown and grown and grown in us. We look forward to heaven. We long for it. Now, unfortunately, 
This longing obviously came about at the death of our daughter, and I don't want anyone to experience that type of tragedy. But what I do want, and I, and I actually pray for this, I pray that there is somehow some way in which everyone could see through this, and I will call it a heavenly perspective, just for a moment, that God would awaken our eyes to the reality of the joy of, of, be, of being with Christ Jesus and the place that he is preparing for us. A lot of people, a lot of people ask, how did you make it through that season? You know, how does someone get through those kind of days and that kind of loss and that level of suffering? And I would tell you, it hurt. In fact, I'd even tell you, it still hurts to this day. But we clung to this truth that this life is only temporary. And clinging to that truth helped us get through the worst days that we've ever had on this planet. And it is what helps us to get through tomorrow. It will be what helps us to get through tomorrow. We are homesick. We are homesick, basically meaning we long for heaven. We think about it all the time. And I pray for all of us that not a day goes by that we are not anticipating the reward. We're not anticipating the pure joy that we have before us when it comes to the promise of heaven. And so what does living with heaven in mind help? How does it, does it actually help? And if so, how does it help? What are the benefits? Well, here's one of the things, when you're living with heaven in mind, when you're thinking about it, when you're dwelling on it, this is what it does for you as a person. Number one is it decreases fear. There is no need for fear. One of the things that I remember saying is that we went through the worst that we could possibly go through. And now that I have heaven on the brain, I'm not scared of anything anymore. And Paul, he, he actually says this, there's no fear of death. Paul says, where death, oh, where death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? There is no need to fear death. There is no need to fear anything in this life or what this life throws at you because it's temporary. Jesus said, Rejoice in that day. What day is he talking about in context in Luke 6? He's talking about the day when the crap hits the fan, when people are upset with you. And he says, yes, leap for joy. Leap for anticipatory joy on that day. Why would you do that? Here's his reason. For a great reward awaits you. Where? In heaven. Jesus is saying, Rejoice today because your heavenly reward is right around the corner. In other words, it's a matter of perspective. In fact, imagine if you would that I had a billion dollars and I could give that billion dollars to you and I'm going to. Let's just say that we're going to say church is opening back up and if you come, you each get a billion dollars. And that would be a great day, a great way to open up church. I promise you, COVID or no COVID, people would be showing up. That's for sure. But imagine if that was the case. Let me ask you this. If you knew that you were getting a billion dollars next Sunday, how worried would you be about your bills throughout the week? How worried would you be about putting food on the table or making sure that you had enough to make ends meet? You wouldn't worry about it that much, or if all at all, because you knew you were getting a billion dollars. It is the same thing when it comes to heaven. 
We can suffer. We can have this pain and the struggle that we have today. And we could worry, worry, and stress and stress about that. But we know that there is a billion-dollar heavenly reward waiting for us. And we know that it's going to be okay. And just knowing that it's going to be okay makes it a little bit easier. Hear me on this. Just knowing that our suffering will be relieved doesn't make it go away. But it does make it better. It makes it bearable. Anticipating heaven doesn't eliminate pain. It doesn't eliminate fear. But it does put them in perspective. And in a way, that lessens them just a little. So what does living with, the heaven, with heaven in mind, the end in mind do? One, it, it, it decreases fear. Secondly, it increases urgency. Living with heaven in mind increases our urgency. Urgency to do what? To share. To share what? To share the gospel. We have the greatest news ever, the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. And I literally, when, when, when we started to have this heavenly perspective, when Maggie was in there, we started thinking about the realities of heaven on a daily basis. I just thought about my other loved ones that were around on this planet. And I didn't want any of them to miss out on the joys of eternity. And so we became what we would say compelled to tell. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who were the most present or, for, or, who, or who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next, those who thought the most about heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world, again, heaven, that they have become so ineffective in this world. You might have heard the phrase, that they are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I don't even think that phrase is possible. Because when you are so heavenly minded, you have heaven on the brain, you know what that is. That's the billion dollar reward of eternity and peace and no more suffering. And you want to share that with everyone because guess what? It's totally free. Jesus has paid the price. That is the gospel. That is the good news. It is why we started this church. Like the disciples before us, we are compelled to tell. And we feel this sense of urgency when you're thinking about heaven. Again, this is why I started the church. It's why we started the church. is because I want to tell everyone and anyone out there that will listen about the heaven that my little girl is playing in right now. I don't want anyone to miss out on what Jesus has in store. Living with heaven in mind. That's what it does for us. It decreases fear and increases our, our desire to share the gospel. Now, a couple closing thoughts. Last thoughts when it comes to not just this message, but to this entire series. And this is one. The way is clear. The way is clear. Here's what I mean by that. No one knows when they will be, you know, what, what, when they'll be, their time will be up and they'll be going to heaven. No one knows that time. No one knows what heaven will be like exactly. We have ideas, but we don't know exactly. The one thing that we do know for sure, without a doubt, and it is clear, is we do know how to get to heaven. We do know the way to heaven. Jesus himself, he said it. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And what he's talking about is he's talking about heaven. 
He goes to prepare a place for us in heaven, and I will come back and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You know, and here it is, the way to the place where I am going. And so one of the disciples, Thomas, he said this. He said, Lord, we have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The way is crystal clear. And I said it in week three that everyone doesn't get in. Even though that 72% of Americans believe that they are going to heaven, Jesus said that the path to heaven is narrow and few will find it. And so how does one get to heaven? How does one find their way to paradise? Well, you cannot just get on I-5 and follow it as far north as it goes. You can't get there in an airplane or with pixie dust. You can't get there by living a good life or doing good things because you can't earn your way. You can't earn admission. You don't need a resume to get in. What you need is a referral. And you need it from one specific person, the property owner's son. You need it from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. And if you know him, if you know Jesus, you can know for sure that you are headed to heaven, that you have a place in eternity with him. If you don't know, if you don't know and you have question marks whether I truly do know him, my suggestion would be this, please check the box. And, there's, and what I mean by that is that there, there's a, in the description below, we have our connection card. And check it in there. And it basically says, I want to know more about Jesus or I want to follow Jesus. And this isn't just so that we can say, hey, this many people have given their life to Jesus. What we want to do is we want to follow up with you and to help you to get to know him. Because it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. And heaven, eternity, paper, stacked on paper is on the line. So if you don't know Jesus, I beg, I plead with you, please check that box and let us know, and we'd love to have a conversation. The last thing to let you know as we close out this series is this, is that the veil is thin. The veil between this world and heaven is super thin. In the temple during Jesus' time, there was a veil, and it separated God and the holies of holies from man and, 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 and from people and from the priests. And when Jesus died, that veil, that curtain that was three and a half inches thick actually ripped from top to bottom, which symbolizes our new access to God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, the veil between heaven and earth, it is like this. It is paper thin. It is so paper thin, so much so that you can actually see through it. Hebrews 13 talks about how that, there are, that we are entertaining angels unaware, that they are among us. And that it's just so close, and we can't always see it, but if we do open our eyes every once in a while, we can see the, the brightness, the glory of heaven shining through on this earth. And friends, that was never more evident for us and for my wife and I than the last months with Maggie on this planet. In fact, on the very night that she passed, on the very night, it was actually really, really early in the morning, like 3 a.m., 
we had a bunch of people come over to the house and friends just to be with us in those last few moments. And one of them was a guy named John, and he brought his guitar, and he was leading worship for the people down below as Maggie was up top in the room with us. Um, and afterwards, I got to talk with John, and he says, I, I really want to share with you something that's really important, but I feel like God is telling me that Jesus has been meeting with Maggie over these last few months. That leading up to this moment, Jesus himself has been meeting with Maggie. And friends, I'm a pastor, but I am not overly spiritual, meaning that when someone tells me that God said this, I am very slow to believe that straight out because I just have heard it too many times when it's not true. And, and, and especially when it comes to hearing about my daughter and on the evening of her passing, literally she just passed away maybe a couple hours before. But John, he doesn't normally say stuff like that. He's a very trustworthy man. He's a godly man. And, and, and so there was a lot going on in that morning and he said this to us and it was a comforting thought and I thought, thank you, John. But the truth is I went on and, and we forgot about it. We didn't even think about it, and we didn't think about it again until Maggie herself confirmed that Jesus was meeting with her. She, she confirmed it by what she said. So how in the world did she do that because she, was, she had already died? Here's how. My wife is amazing, and she's amazing in so many ways, but one of the ways where she's just kind of over the top is how she records our kids. She takes countless videos and pics, and, and she actually has been writing down since they, their first word the different things that our kids would say, the beautiful things they'd say, the interesting things that they'd say, the crazy things that they would say. And she would write them word by word, um, line by line, um, on, and we just have total pages of quotes, pages of pages of quotes. And so when it came time, to, um, to do Maggie's funeral, we were preparing for it, and we look back on the quotes that Maggie said, and especially those near the last few months of her life, we found out that John was actually right, that Maggie herself was saying things that confirmed that Jesus was meeting with her prior to her leaving. It happened multiple times. She talked about dreaming about heaven. In fact, one night, we thought it was a nightmare because Maggie came into our room. And, and friends, you need to know this. She didn't know that she was dying at this point in time. She knew that she had a bump in her brain, but she didn't know she was going to heaven. She didn't think that in the slightest. But she came into the room, and she's very upset. She wakes us up, and she's saying over and over again, I want to go to heaven, and I want to go now. I want to go to heaven, and I want to go now. We ask her, Megs, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? And she just said, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. And so we cuddled her. We calmed her down. And she proceeded to tell us about the dream that she had of being with Jesus. And she would say, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. One morning, not the next morning, but one morning, my May, uh, Maggie and, I, and my wife and I were having breakfast and she told us this. My wife wrote it down verbatim. In the night, I heard voices in my bed. And that, that as a parent, you're like, okay, that's a little weird, a little strange. She says, I heard voices um, in my bed. And it was the Lord. He told me, we love you. Now, either Jesus himself told her, and this is true, or my daughter, who is three and a half years old, is the most uh, theologically accurate 
individual that you've ever met because she says, we love you. Meaning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, love you. Uh, another morning, not the same morning, again, my wife asked the question, Megs, how did you sleep? And Maggie said, I'm sad because I dreamed about heaven and I want to go there and be with Jesus. I'm sad for that. I want to go. Jesus was meeting, I believe Jesus was meeting with my daughter prior to her leaving. And this was so important to me because as a dad, I couldn't care for her as she transfers from this life into the next. I wanted to hold her hand all the way in there, but I needed to know that somebody else was doing that for me. And who better than Jesus himself? The veil is so thin, so thin. In fact, another way that we saw this was during radiation we would go to the hospital six weeks in a row every single week. And Maggie was a trooper as we'd go in to get radiation, not to cure the cancer, but to slow it down. And every single time that we went in, uh, the same thing kind of happened. Almost every time, uh, the radiologists would give the anesthesia to Maggie. And what she would do is she would, um, when it was put in, she would reach her hands up towards heaven, lift up, look at the sky and up to the ceiling, and then she would fall asleep. This happened over and over again. And what the doctors told us is that they told us in all their years of doing uh, their practice, they have never seen an individual do this. Now, I don't know. I don't know if Maggie could see like Stephen up into heaven and that it parted and she was able to see Jesus standing there. But all I know is that she would reach her hands up to the sky each and every time that she was going under for six weeks. Six weeks. Friends, my daughter reached for heaven. She longed for heaven long before she actually got to go there. And I pray I do. I pray that we do the same. I pray that we live with heaven in mind. God gave Maggie a glimpse of heaven while she was still here on earth, and we have been given a glimpse of heaven as well. Why? Why would God do that? Hope. Heaven is our hope for tomorrow. It is our hope for tomorrow, and it helps us to get through today. Like Dorothy said, there is no place like home. There is no place like home. And there really is. There's no place like home. And heaven is our home. Let us not forget it. Let us always look forward to it. Let us be homesick until the day when we are all home. Instead of praying and concluding in that way, Today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read a small paragraph, a small section from C.S. Lewis, the book he wrote entitled Last Battle. And this is a story of Aslan and Narnia, and, and, and it's a parallel to heaven. And what I'd like to do is I'd love it, if you would, wherever you're at, to close your eyes and simply listen. Listen to this beautiful description. Listen to this word picture. Listen to this glimpse of Narnia and in turn, heaven. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. 
come further up, come further in. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. And all the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all our stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover, the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before.